Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Sometimes the title of a program will really strike you or strike me as somewhat peculiar and even a little humorous. Such is the case with the title of today's series of programs. This series from the Office of War Information uh, was called You Can't Do Business with Hitler. And I expected a series of broadcasts that were strictly about the uh, economic policies of the Nazis. I also kind of wondered about the title. In one way, in the t- middle of the war, you can't do business with Hitler. Almost seems like an unnecessary caution, as this uh, series was released in 1942 when the U.S. was already at war. But I think there is a point to the title, and we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. I've uh, chosen a selection of the uh, 12 episodes we have in the series. We're going to play three of them for you today. The first one is kind of what I expected. Um, but start, uh, episode one, Heads They Win, Tails We Lose. Kind of a story of the uh, economic... Um, uh, stance of the Nazis. Um, then uh, it, the focus changes a little bit more in episode uh, five, which is entitled Mass Murder. And uh, taking a look at more of the human rights uh, abuses of the Nazis. And then uh, episode nine uh, is entitled Antichrist. Uh, so we'll go ahead and play those three episodes. Should be about 45 minutes, so let's go ahead and take a listen. You can't do business with Hitler. We are now at war. There are but two alternatives, total victory or total defeat. There can be no such thing as a military stalemate that would result in the survival of Hitlerism. That is the opinion of a man who knows, Douglas Miller, for 15 years commercial attaché to the American Embassy in Berlin. Presenting a new radio series adapted from Mr. Miller's book, You Can't Do Business with Hitler, Episode 1. Heads they win, tails we lose. This is Douglas Miller speaking. I'll be very blunt and to the point. I want to give you a picture of Nazi trade methods and Nazi business methods as I saw them during my 15 years in Berlin. I have two reasons for so doing. First, to tell you some of the causes of this war that you perhaps have never heard of before. Second, to convince you, if you need convincing, that there can never be any compromise with Hitlerism. We wipe it out, or it wipes us out. Now let's get on to cases. The case of James Dunning Forrester, for example. Forrester was an American businessman who back in 1937 was trying to do business with Germany. He had nearly completed a deal to sell a shipload of American goods to the Nazis. To close the deal, Forrester was asked to call upon an important Nazi official at the Ministry of Economics in Berlin. 
And now, Herr Forrester, there are just a few things more to settle, and we conclude your business. But I thought everything was settled. Not quite everything, Herr Forrester. There is the matter of shipping. But my firm will take care of that naturally. Yeah, of course. But we expect that you will ship your goods on a German ship. I'm sorry, I'm afraid that's impossible. My company has a contract with an American line. You see, we... Then the contract must be broken. I beg your pardon. I, I mean, Herr Forrester... That our regulations demand that your goods be shipped on a German vessel. Otherwise, your business with us must be cancelled. But uh, why should I put American seamen out of a job? Regulations, Herr Forrester. Regulations. There's nothing I can do about it, you understand. Well, I, I suppose it could be arranged. But I don't like it very well. Now, another thing, Herr Forrester. Are you insured with an American company? You needn't worry about insurance, Herr Schwartz. The company I'm insured Is with... Is it an American company, Herr Forrester? Naturally. Unfortunate. I don't understand. When our regulations demand you insure with a German company. Why, that's ridiculous. After all, I'm the one who stands to lose if anything happens. I think I should have the right to insure myself with an insurance company of my own choosing. Herr Forrester, are you implying that German insurance companies are not dependable? I'm implying nothing of the kind. Look here, Herr Schwartz. We'll forget this insurance matter for the moment. But how many other regulations do I have to conform to? Well, when your cargo is loaded in America, it must be examined by German inspectors. German inspectors, eh? Well, that's all it was me. Your company, of course, must pay the expense of sending these inspectors from Germany to America and back again. Now, wait a minute. Why should we pay the expenses of men who are working in your interest? I never heard of such a thing. Herr Forrester, if you wish to do business with Germany, you must do it according to German regulation. No other country has such arbitrary regulations. The Great Reich, Herr Forrester, is not responsible for the regulations of other countries. That's some consolation. I beg your pardon. <laughs> never mind. Let's get on with it. And that's the way the Nazis do business. There's no such thing as having a purely business relation with a totalitarian state. Every business deal carries with it political, military, social, and propaganda implications. Proof? I have plenty of proof. For example, about three years ago, Gable's Ministry of Propaganda arranged for the president of the German Film Chamber to visit my office to discuss and exchange of motion pictures. After this high Nazi official had arrived and we had exchanged a few pleasantries, he said to me, Herr Miller, Dr. Gibbles is interested in buying American motion pictures. The few that we have shown have been very popular here. Yes, yes, of course. But am I to understand that the American film companies will be paid cash for these films? Cash? Yeah, of course. What else? Well, isn't it a bit unusual? Uh, usually you do business on a barter basis. Yeah, but this is different. And will the American firms be able to take their profits out of Germany? That is, uh, without the usual restrictions, I mean? There will be no restrictions. Well, I'm very glad to hear it. But uh, why are you waiving a standard regulation? Ah, but we are very friendly to America. Oh, oh I see. This is a gesture of goodwill. Yeah, goodwill. That's it. Oh, of course. We would expect some little favor in exchange. Oh, I see. And uh, what is the nature of the favor? Well, Herr Goebbels would like each of the large motion picture theaters in 25 of your leading American cities to give one quarter of their time to us. You mean Herr Goebbels would like to supply Americans with motion pictures in these cities? Yeah, that is, the Ministry of Propaganda would supply the pictures. Oh, but you don't understand. 
The United States government has no power to force American motion picture houses to show German propaganda films. Or any other films for that matter. The United States government hasn't the power. Oh, come, come, Herr Miller. You are joking, yeah? No, no, seriously. American movie houses show what films they choose to show. But I cannot believe it. It's according to an old American principle, freedom of speech. I have never heard of such a thing. Herr Miller, if you do not agree to our arrangement, Herr Goebbels will be very displeased. Yes, but if I do agree to such an arrangement, I'm afraid the American people will be very much displeased. And after all, they're the ones who would have to look at Herr Goebbels' films. <laughs> Mr. President. No, no, nothing. No. 
Well, have you thought of retiring, Carlson, on a, on a pension, I mean? Oh, Mr. President, is this all you have to speak of, my career? <laughs> no, sir. I have ten good years in me yet for the company. Now, this letter, Mr. President, you must look at it. It is from the Berlin Secret Police. The Gestapo? Yes. They demand that we stop advertising our goods in the local newspaper. What right have they to ask such a thing? The best newspaper? He's been advertising in it for years. You don't understand, Carlson. The paper in which we advertise is pro-democratic. And this is the Nazi method of striking out at their enemies. Well, they're using us as a tool. But we won't do it. You tell them, sir. You tell them we won't do it. I can't tell them that, Carlson. If I refuse, it means ruin. You must refuse. But you don't understand. We're, we're in their hands. We, we've come to depend upon their business. They should cut it off now. But if only I hadn't permitted myself to be led into such a position. One demand after another. I thought I could play along with them and still maintain our independence. I was wrong. Don't give in to them, sir. You must make a stand somewhere. No, no it's settled, Carlson. You make all necessary changes and see that our advertising contract is transferred elsewhere. Very well, Mr. President. If that's your order. Now, I'll go back to my office. Uh, Carlson, wait. Yes, sir? This other matter, your resignation. But I'm not ready to resign, Mr. President. Please, I'll be very frank with you. I received another letter from the German secret police that I haven't told you about. Another letter? Yes. Remember a few months ago, they, they asked me to send them a complete list of all the workers here? Well, they've checked that list with their spies here in Sweden, and now they demand that I discharge certain employees. Discharge employees? But why? Well, the Nazis say they are Jewish and communistic. Of course, that these are the names the Nazis apply to anyone opposed to fascism. Will discharge these employees? Then? I must. But I only I wanted you to understand. That's all, Mr. Spectrum. No. No, it's not all. One more thing. Yes? Carson, your, your name was among those the Nazis demanded I discharge. My name? Yes, because you have openly stated your hatred of the Nazis. Now, of course, you understand you'll be pensioned. You don't have to worry about your wife or your You children. needn't discharge me. I shall save you the trouble. Any man who has worked here is a traitor to his country. I resign. Oh, don't go on like that, Carlson. You must understand my position. Carlson, wait. Carlson, please come back here. Carlson. I have given you in the short time available some faint idea of the viciousness of Nazi business methods. Germany has been carrying on a war against America since 1933. A war of trade, a war of espionage, a war of propaganda. We must finish this once and for all, so that Hitler's cutthroat business and propaganda methods will never again sap our strength. We must carry on this war until Nazism is completely and finally exterminated. You can't do business with Hitler. You have been listening to the first broadcast in a new radio series entitled 
You can't do business with Hitler. Listen for the second broadcast in this series, which is entitled Broken Promises. This program, written and produced by Frank Telford, is brought to you by the Office for Emergency Management in Washington. Farmers and workers may occupy the conquered land. 
Nazis have developed no standard technique of depopulation. They use whatever means are available. They merely select an area that is desirable to them and ruthlessly get rid of its inhabitants, either by shifting them to other localities or by executing them. The harsh extermination of the people of Abbeville in occupied France, which took place in January 1941, is typical. Abbeville, the coast of France, January 1941. Uh, it's nice to drop a hook into the water again, eh, Jacques? Uh, even knowing the Nazis have dragged us all and taken every fish does not matter. Man does not need fish. Fish, we. A little line, a pole, and even if only a bent pin. You go. We? I think you have caught something. Yes, you have caught a fish. Even a little one. No, no, a big one. See? Yes, that is not a fish. No? Look there, in the water, alone. A body. Look, there are many of them. Many of them. You go. We must leave this place. Come. Stop on the bridge, Marie? They say if you throw a shoe in the sun right at this spot, any wish you make will come true. May I have a shoe, I see it? <laughs> Shall I throw it? Right over there, I see it. I see. Something? Yes. What? What was them? Corpses. No? I see it. What does it mean? I don't know. I think we are in danger. Come. Take your cap and go away. There is no room here. I did not. It's only to bring them here. You know what will happen if I disobey. What can I do with them? The mug is packed to the rafts already. Oh, you must take them. It will be bad for you, too. Yeah, very well. How many do you have? Thirty. All from the river? Come. Nine hundred bodies in the storm. What is happening? <laughs>
Suicide, indeed. The Germans admit that autopsies of the bodies reveal that nearly all of the so-called suicides had been hit on the head with a blunt instrument. Now, why were the people of Abbeville depopulated? Because Abbeville is a channel town needed to house troops for a possible invasion of Britain, and because the once prosperous town is to become German. But there are other ways of Nazi depopulation. Less melodramatic, just as a Starvation, exposure, disease. In conquered Greece, which never had enough food, starvation was the method. By all the thoughts of requisition, all the food in this house, Fraulein. You will gather everything edible and place it on the table. Here, hurry. We have nothing to do. We are full. Very well. I will search myself. But I am telling the truth. All we have is the few potatoes. Well, let's get at once. The German army of occupation is requisitioning all the food in Greece. You will be made no exception. But it's all we have. What will we do? I am sorry, Fraulein. But you must realize that there are at present twice as many Greeks as we need here. Half must die. The rich shall become poor, and the poor shall die. That is our policy. Incredible? Want proof? Then see Time magazine for November 24, 1941. And it's not only to Greece that starvation is being applied as an instrument of extermination, but to Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Norway as well. Yet, this is only a fragment of the story of Nazi depopulation. Scientific extermination reaches its most pitiless aspects in the Slavic and East Baltic states, which Hitler has relegated to the lowest position in his hierarchy of races. Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf, Our eternal state policy will remain an idle dream unless the planned policy of colonization and depopulation are carried out. The great danger for the white all the place is the tremendous facility of the heat of the place. This makes everything inferior. Make that for full quality by greater quantity. So Poland is to be depopulated. How? The freight cars are loaded over Leutnant. I have orders to hold the train. Our freight is increased by 300. Very well, sir. But where will we put them? The box cars are loaded to capacity. You will have to make room someplace. My orders are to ship 300 more. Why couldn't they lie on the floor and the others on top of them? 900 miles. They will all be dead, sir. I see no alternative. Here are the orders. Very well, sir. 300 more. I saw once in the battle. How many are here? Hundreds in this truck. A hundred in all the cars. I saw them go in. It took 10,000 last month to the right. Right. Where do you come from? Warsaw. I was in business there. I was in business too. Are there any Jews here? I'm a Jew. I thought you'd all been killed. So now they're killing the Catholics. I'm a Catholic. Where did you see we're going? To the right? To the right. Get away, but I can't. 
I don't like being with Dyson. There's no use trying. You can't move. You must be going north. Getting cold. I'm shivering. Wouldn't be so cold if you had something to eat. They gave me some bread when I came. I waited in the station two days. Every day they gave me bread. One piece. That's worse not to have water. Already? And we're not going to the right. Maybe I was in a concentration camp. It's better than this. You can, can find things to eat. They're coming. What are we going to do? Everybody stay down. Take the whole side of the boat. Out. And then drop everything else to throw out the dead. Are there any dead here? Speak, are there any dead here? Just one. No. How did he die? Don't tell. What was that? I just said he just died. Disease? No. He thought the others killed him. Good. Throw him out. If he knew it was easy, he would have killed him. Where did you think he was going? To the right? To the right. beginning, the Nazi solution of the Polish and Jewish problems along the new eastern frontier has been much the same. The greater part of Poland is to be German and is being provided with a new set of German landlords. The Germans need, however, Polish laborers to operate their estates. But this number is far smaller than the existing population, so the surplus has been hurried out of the country. There has been no adequate attempt to provide food, shelter, or employment for these people. They've been dying like flies. This, of course, is what the Nazis want. It reapportions the population along lines more agreeable to them. It gives the Germans slave labor. And if Hitler's victory is permanent, this slave labor will permit him to undersell every other country in the world. Fantastic? Unbelievable? No, not at all. The best evidence of all is in the writings and speeches of Adolf Hitler himself. In Hermann Rossing's book, The Voice of Destruction, on page 137, we find the following speech by Adolf Hitler. We are obliged to depopulate as part of our mission of preserving this earth as population. We shall have to develop the technique of depopulation. If you ask me what I mean by depopulation, I mean the removal of entire racial units. And that is what I intend to carry out. If I can send this flower of the German nation into war without the smallest pity for the spilling of precious garment blood, then surely I have the right to remove millions of an inferior race that please my garment. You can't do business with Hitler. You have been listening to the fifth broadcast in the series entitled You Can't Do Business with Hitler, based on the experiences of Douglas Miller, who was for 15 years commercial attaché to the American Embassy in Berlin. Listen for the sixth episode in the series, which is entitled The Spoils of Europe. Douglas Miller reveals the Nazi technique of plundering and looting conquered land. This transcribed program, written by Elwood Hoffman and directed by Frank Telford, was brought to you by the radio section of the Office for Emergency Management in Washington.
business with Hitler. We are now at war. There are but two alternatives, total victory or total defeat. There can be no such thing as a military stalemate that would result in the survival of Hitlerism. That is the opinion of a man who knows. Douglas Miller, for 15 years, commercial attaché to the American Embassy in Berlin. Presenting a radio series entitled, You Can't Do Business with Hitler. Episode 9, The Antichrist. Douglas Miller speaking. Since 1933, when Hitler first came to power, he has carried on an unceasing campaign to destroy all faiths, the Jewish, the Protestant, the Catholics. We all know what happened to the Jews in Germany. They were a small minority and defenseless. Hitler's attack on Protestants and Catholics has not been so open. Nevertheless, step by step, Hitler has hammered at these Christian faiths until today he feels that the time has come to replace these faiths with a new pagan church. Incredible? Fantastic? No. Let's consider the cold facts. Listen to the words of Adolf Hitler as reported in Chapter 4 of Hermann Rauschnig's book, The Voice of Destruction. I can guarantee that the swastika will take the place of the cross. Instead of worshipping the blood of the Savior, we shall worship the pure blood of the German people. I shall come to terms with the church temporarily. Why not? That will not prevent me from later tearing up Christianity roots and branch and annihilating it in Germany. I shall come to terms with the church temporarily, Hitler told Hermann Rosnick. Hitler was referring to the Catholic Church. For in 1933, he negotiated an agreement with the Vatican in which Catholics in Germany were promised freedom of worship. Later, however, in 1935, he attempted to discredit the Catholic clergy by means of the now notorious immorality trials. Lucerne Waterlands, for December 14, 1937. 
At the same time, the Nazi-controlled German press opened up a terrific mudslinging barrage of abuse and vilification. Listen to Paul Goebbels, German Minister of Propaganda. A vast number of Catholic clerics have been tried for various crimes. It is not a matter of regrettable individual lapses, but of a general corruption of morals such as the history of civilization has scarcely ever known. No other class of society has contrived to indulge in filth on a scale resembling that achieved by the Catholic clergy in all its ranks. This from Paul Goebbels, official spokesman of Adolf Hitler. Unbelievable? You Catholics want proof? See a book entitled Persecution of the Catholic Church in the Third Reich, written by a German Catholic and translated from the German. I repeat that. Persecution of the Catholic Church in the Third Reich. Turn to page 305. Page 305. The fact that every single Catholic called into court was innocent made absolutely no difference to the Nazis. The immorality trials were merely a smear campaign. Hitler's next step was the destruction of the church schools. The most ironical Nazi device was the so-called parents' election. For example, in Bavaria. We are going to have a vote. A vote? Why? About the schools. We're going to vote whether to send our children to the church schools or to the Nazi schools. Is there something wrong with the church schools? Well, I've heard no complaints. Have you? No. Still, our governor tells me we are to vote. So we will do The elections were mockery. The Nazi party brought to bear every kind of pressure to win the people to the state-controlled schools. You are Ryder. Johann Ryder. You have a son? Yeah. Martin. Where does he go to school? St. Paul's Seminary for Boys. You will vote to send your son to the state school? No, will I? Don't answer. Another question. You are unemployed? Yeah. You expect the winter fund to help you? Well, I find work. I will tell the Gauleiter that you expect help from the winter fund. How did you say you would vote? I, I will vote. Speak up. I will vote for the state school. I in the final analysis, it made no difference how the people voted. The Nazis counted the vote. In other districts, Nazi Gauleiters or local party leaders went into the parochial schools to gather evidence. A Gauleiter was sit beside a parochial teacher. For example, this was typical. Since you are the priest in charge, I want to tell you that there are many things here I find opposed to the best interests of the state. Opposed to the interests of the state? Well, I don't... Never mind. Go ahead with it. What's next? The catechism. What catechism? This one is called Truth of the Catechism from a book edited by the bishop's conference at Fulda. All right. Proceed. Uh, Wolfgang. Yes, Father. You will recite. Yes, Father. Question 17. What was the greatest honor of the Jewish people? The greatest honor of the Jewish people was the... Enough! What are you teaching the book? Well, this is merely a part... I don't care what. Self-forcing. Wolfgang, Wilson 34. Who alone has the ultimate right over our bodies and our health? 
God alone has the ultimate right over our bodies and our health. But you will be repulsed. Repulsed? But I am willing. You, Wolfgang. Yes, sir. You are a member of the history. No, sir. I will see your parents. Every true German boy must belong. Yes, sir. You will learn that the Führer and only the Führer has the right over our bodies and our health. Go on, Father. Go on. Never mind him. Do as I tell you. The Führer has the ultimate right. Obey me, Wolfgang. The Führer has the ultimate right. The Führer has the ultimate right over our bodies. Thus has Hitler step by step attempted to destroy the Catholic schools. Hear the words of Adolf Hitler himself as reported by Hermann Rauschnig on page 53 of The Voice of Destruction. As long as youth follows me, I don't mind if the old people live to the confession. But the young ones will be different. I guarantee that. And here is final evidence that Hitler has dishonored his agreement with the Vatican. On May 6, 1936, His Holiness Pope Pius XI received an audience a group of Germans representing various Catholic orders. These are the words of the Holy Father on that occasion. Almost daily we receive reports which show how loyal Catholics in Germany are persecuted and hindered from the exercise of their faith. In the name of so-called positive Christianity, efforts are being made to de-Christianize Germany and lead her back to barbarous paganism. I have given you the facts about Nazi persecution of Catholics in the Third Reich. But what has happened to the Protestants? Consider the case of Pastor Martin Niemöller. On June the 19th, 1937, Niemöller, as hundreds of other courageous Protestant pastors had done, dared to preach a sermon in which he condemned Nazi attempts to turn Germany into a pagan state. Dear brothers and sisters, tonight it is our birthday. We cannot help remembering those who, for the gospel's sake, are pampered in their freedom or love. These people have been banished from their homes, condemned to be silent, or thrown into prison because they claim that the church has the right denounce attacks against the Christian faith, or to denounce interference with Christian worship. Pastor Nee Muller spoke those words in June of 1937. It was his last sermon. He was charged with making subversive statements and thrown into prison. He spent seven months in prison and then in February of 1938 stood trial. He is found guilty and fined 500 marks. The leniency of the sentence amounted to a virtual acquittal. Obviously, because of Niemöller's popularity, the Nazis were afraid to deal with him too harshly. The trial was held directly across from the American consulate in Berlin. I was in the consulate at the time and witnessed the great demonstration accorded Niemöller by a cheering crowd as he left the courtroom. In the midst of the demonstration, an automobile full of Gestapo agents pulled up before the courthouse. Pastor Niemöller, Pastor Niemöller. You called me? I'm over Leutenbrunn. 
I have orders from the Gestapo to see if you are safe. My safety? Oberleutnant? Yeah. I'm in danger. But you are. This crowd is very threatening. Threatening? Oberleutnant. They are my friends. I'm in no danger. The crowd is threatening. I have orders to take you into a protected custody. I was right. I owe the cost nothing. I paid my fine. I am a free man. Protective custody. Pete, come along, Pete. And if I don't? My men have a machine gun. If you incite a rat, it might be very bloody. Machine gun? All right. I'll go with you. Come on. Lee Muller was put in the concentration camp at Saxonhausen. He has been there ever since. Thus, Protestants, as well as Catholics and Jews, are denied freedom of worship in Germany. Hitler has coldly, scientifically, carefully set out to destroy the old churches. On the ruins of the old, he will build his new paganism. Listen to the words of Adolf Hitler. The Germans shall not acknowledge the Jewish Christ creed with its effeminate pity ethics. We shall wash off the Christian veneer and bring out the religion to our race, we shall replace the cross with the swastika. You can't do business with Hitler. You have been listening to episode nine in a series entitled You Can't Do Business with Hitler. If you want a copy of this script, send a postcard to the radio section of the Office for Emergency Management in Washington. I'll repeat, the radio section of the Office for Emergency Management in Washington. Listen for the tenth program in this series, which is entitled, The Pagan God. This transcribed program, written and directed by Frank Telford, was brought to you by the radio section of the Office for Emergency Management in Washington. <laughs> Welcome back. A very powerful story. And to me, um, I, I think as I listened to it, I, I think I understood that when I first heard the title, I was taking too narrow of a view of what the phrase, you can't do business with Hitler, meant. Um, I, I think that anytime you get involved uh, as a people, as a free people in a war that demands so much time, energy, and sacrifice over the course of years, uh, it can look appealing to go ahead and to withdraw and to back away from the war. I think that defeat wouldn't really affect us that much. We still were all the way across the sea. But the message of the title, You Can't Do Business with Hitler, really suggests, as they say in the introduction, that we do really face a choice. There's no turning back. There's no backing away. There's no compromising with Nazism. It's not something where we can 
just uh, withdraw from the field and deal with the Nazis. That's not going to be acceptable for the type of attacks they represented. And that was really the message of the series, and I think they brought it home quite well. All right, well, uh, we will return tomorrow with some um, music episodes. That'll do it for now. If you have a story about your experiences or that of a loved one in World War II, I'd love to hear from you. I welcome all your comments at box13 at greatdetectives.net. King Curlin provides the opening theme, Heroic, KenCurlin.com. Andrew Rines edits our sound, otrwesterns.com. I'm your host, Adam Graham. The war is offered as a service of the great detectives of old-time radio, www.